Live from the New York Stock Exchange, I'm Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Tariffs and tiaras, the Queen welcoming President Trump to the UK as the Mexicans arrive in the United States, battling to avoid tariffs as a result of migrant flows. And is it second time unlucky? Google may be facing a second US antitrust investigation. It's Monday. Let's make a move. Welcome once again to the show. And of course, it's the first trading day of June. Lots going on in the show today, as I mentioned there, including the fact that President Trump is, of course, in the UK and meeting with the Queen. We've got plenty of pomp and pageantry coming up in just a couple of minutes time. But I want to bring you back here to the global markets, to the New York Stock Exchange, where it's the president's alter ego, the so-called tariff man, that's currently occupying the minds of businesses and investors alike. Right now, futures are low. We've got the Nasdaq off uh, around a quarter of a percent pre-market. We've taken back some of the earlier losses. Watching U.S.-Mexico trade talks today, well, talks not on trade but on tariffs. The U.S. saying it's ending its special trade status for India as well, of course, last week. And apparently the president discussed imposing tariffs on Australia last week too. Clearly that didn't happen, but all of the United States trading partners right now must be on high alert. Let's not forget China as well. In a press conference yesterday on Sunday, Chinese officials saying, look, it was the United States fault front and center that we saw those trade talks break down. We are, of course, still waiting for their corporate blacklist too. This is taking a toll on markets. What can I tell you? We've got the Nasdaq right now approaching correction territory off almost 9% from last month's record high chip stocks too have been severely punished. We've got the Dow now falling for some straight, six straight weeks. It's also taking a toll in the bond markets too. The 10-year yield today has been close to breaking 2.1%. The warnings too from the big banks coming thick and fast. Among them, Morgan Stanley warning that we could be less than a year away from a global recession if the trade war worsens. We'll be talking this through throughout the show, but for now, the president is royally occupied over in London and uh, Halagarani is there for us too. Pomp, ceremony and controversy. Donald Trump has only been in London for a few hours, but we've already had plenty of three. Uh, Halagarani outside Buckingham Palace. Boris Harla, great to have you on the show with us. Talk us through what we've seen so far. Well, uh, you mentioned the pump and the ceremony, but there were insults and they began flying before the plane had even landed. Donald Trump has begun his first ever state visit to Brit Britain. You'll remember last year in July, he also visited the UK. That was a working visit. Now, a short time ago, the US president sat down for a private lunch with the queen after a formal greeting ceremony at Buckingham Palace. Well, there were no warm greetings uh, for London mayors, though. Not long before Air Force One touched down, the president sent out a tweet calling Sadiq Khan a stone-cold loser. He also made fun of his height. This after the mayor slammed Mr. Trump in a scathing editorial, calling him an example of a global far-right threat. CNN's Nick Robinson joins me now with more. So today is a very, very busy day for the president. Today is Royal Day. Tomorrow is Politics Day. We'll talk about that then. But right now, we expect the next event to be what? 
Um, after the lunch is finished here, then they will go and review gifts. These are gifts that uh, former uh, U.S. presidents, uh, U.S. Mm. officials, dignitaries have given to the Queen over the years. These are held in a royal collection. One of the things that they might be able to see, in fact, in fact I think we can expect uh, President Trump to be shown a copy mm. of the, uh, of, uh, the uh, uh, Statement of Independence from Britain mm -hmm. uh, over 200 years ago. But it's things of that stature that, uh, that he'll be shown. And this is, again, to sort of talk about the history and the strength of the relationship that it goes back many, uh, many generations. Well, the U.S. president did not shy away from, some might even say, meddling in U.K. politics by having kind words for Boris Johnson, though perhaps he hasn't been reminded that Boris Johnson once said some not very nice things about him, uh, and also engaging in this Twitter uh, war of words with the London mayor, uh, telling the Sun political editor in an interview from the Oval Office he didn't know Meghan Markle, Prince Harry's wife, was nasty. A lot of controversy, which we've come to expect. We have. And outside of the Meghan Markle uh, question, which was something President Trump has later said that he didn't actually say, but it was there on tape and he did say it. And mm -hmm. it was the, the editor, I think you were speaking to him before, Tom Newton Dunn, who told the president, reminded him that uh, Meghan Markle during uh, President's, uh, President Trump's election campaign, that if he got elected, then she would she would emigrate to, to Canada. Mm -hmm. So that's what he was commenting on. He's since tried to make up for it. But the issues of, of Boris Johnson, of Sadiq Khan, of, of, of dissing, in a way, uh, Theresa May's own handling of Brexit, the things we saw when the president came here on that working visit last year and he tried to make it up with Theresa May when he when he saw her after those comments became public. But it is par for the course. And I think that's what people here have expected. Um, his Twitter spat with uh, the, the mayor of London goes back to uh, after one of the terror incidents in London. He criticized the way that the mayor was handling mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. um, he seems to want to take it all on and do this again. And it yeah. diverts from some of the more substantive issues that he will be talking about while he's here. And there will be very substantive, uh, sub substantive issues that the UK cares about deeply after Brexit, because if they are, and they are, moving away from the closest of relationships with the rest of Europe, which is being part of the same EU club, they're going to have to develop um, some special, even more special relationships with the U.S. One of the strengths of being in the European Union is you're part of those 28 countries, mm. 50, uh, uh, 500 million people um, uh, made up of all those nations. This is a powerful trading group that has clout around the mm -hmm. world. As Britain alone, you, you lack that clout, so you're more exposed to the leverage that the United States might put on Britain to, for example, take certain products from the United States mm -hmm. or want access to markets in the UK. There was discussion over the weekend that you know, Britain's health service could be opened up to, the, to, to US medical interests in a way that it isn't today. But that would be a concern for British people because they have some pride in what is a somewhat decrepit health service, but it is free to the user, and that's not the case in the US. That would be a mm -hmm. concern. So so these will be some of the topics coming up. But there will be a lot of business leaders that the, the president will be bringing with him, that the, the, the British government is hosting as well, mm -hmm. and this will be an important part of the conversation. Right, some uh, big business leaders, banking industry leaders, pharmaceutical industry leaders as well taking part. Military in industry, yep. Mm -hmm. Thanks very much, Nick Robertson. We'll see you in a little bit. Jeremy Hunt was the first minister to greet the U.S. president on his arrival. The foreign secretary told Mr. Trump that Britain will be putting on a great show this week to celebrate the amazing partnership, quote unquote, between the two nations. But speaking to CNN, the foreign secretary conceded uh, that there are some big differences between the two allies.
Well, we don't agree with uh, everything he says. Well, what don't you does. agree with? Well, we don't agree with, for example, his approach to climate change or uh, the Iran nuclear deal. Um, I've disagreed with him on the NHS before, but that doesn't mean that we can't celebrate the fact that this is one of the most important alliances in history. And it's not just what Britain and America did in the Second World War. It is the international order that we created since then that has led to unparalleled peace and prosperity across the world. And in that, President Trump stands rock solid with the United Kingdom. Well... Peter Westmacott is a former UK ambassador to the United States, and he joins me now. So uh, let's talk a little bit of just about the first few hours and perhaps even the hours preceding the president's touchdown at Stansted Airport outside of London. Already controversy there uh, preceding the U.S. leader. I think everybody knew that once the president of the United States, this president of the United States, was on his way or about to land, there were going to be tweets, there was going to be stories, there was going to be some sort of high-risk stuff. One or two British politicians, like the mayor of London, had taken mm -hmm. the opportunity to be critical of the visit, critical of him. The nature of the president is that he fires back. And, of course, if he was going to give interviews, which he did a day or two beforehand to a couple of the Murdoch newspapers, it was inevitable that he would get involved in British domestic politics. Yeah. That's par for the course. Nobody's really surprised. Right. No one's surprised. But what is significant, then, about this particular visit? Because this is post-Brexit referendum Britain. Yes. And they know that their interests lie in developing closer relationships, even with traditional allies like the United States. But the president is talking about a trade deal that would involve access to the UK market, even safer pharmaceutical goods, that maybe some people in Britain wouldn't be comfortable with. I think you're right, Hala. We have to remember that this state visit goes back to the day when Theresa May rushed off to the Oval Office mm -hmm. to be the first person to congratulate the president on his election. Mm -hmm. And he had been saying, Brexit is wonderful. And thanks to Brexit, I'm the president. And he has been very supportive of Brexit. Now, we haven't done Brexit yet. Who knows? We might not even do it. Mm -hmm. uh, it remains to be seen. It's extremely messy. He carries on talking about shiny new free trade deals between Britain and America. But most of us who've done free trade negotiations know that it's much more difficult than that. Mm -hmm. It'll take a long time. And there will be some seriously difficult negotiations over, I think, long time, whether it's chlorine washed chicken, beef hormones, mm -hmm. financial services, American Buy America Act, or state procurement policies in America. This will be difficult. So it's nice to hear that he wants Brexit to be a success, but, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. And this will be the UK on its own and not as part of the EU. Um, Boris Johnson um, uh, and Nigel Farage, uh, both men who are proponents of Brexit, of a hard Brexit, uh, were complimented by the U.S. president as being uh, good leaders and in the case of Nigel Farage even saying he should be part of the negotiations. Uh, I saw that too. <laughs> and of course Boris a little bit earlier was extremely rude about the president when he was the candidate. He and called him unfit. Unfit for office. But mm -hmm. he seems now to be very popular. For whatever reason, I don't know, he's been very complimentary, of course, mm -hmm. about this president, and he's hardline Brexit, or he is for the moment, until, mm -hmm. until he's not. Mm -hmm. So we'll have to wait and see. But I think it's inevitable, if this president is asked, what do you think about the candidates for the race, and there's a dozen of them out there, it's hard for him not to answer the question and say which ones he likes. Mm -hmm. Now, um, as far as the UK is concerned, I mean, this has been... Um this honor has been bestowed on only three presidents. I wonder why the UK felt the need, in your opinion, for such a lavish welcome ceremony. Because this is as, 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 as incredibly lavish as it gets. It is lavish. It is the full state visit. Mm -hmm. 
I was ambassador in Paris when we did the same thing for President Sarkozy. Mm -hmm. We went over to Buckingham Palace in the same way. We didn't have the helicopter on the lawn, but otherwise it was very mm -hmm. similar. And it's spectacular. And I like to think we do these things beautiful, beautifully. Why answer Theresa May really wanted to make him this offer on day one? Mm -hmm. Normally, to be honest, you wait and see how the relationship goes. You wait and see how the president performs uh, before you issue an invitation to something as lavish and as important as this. As mm -hmm. you rightly say, not every president gets a state visit. But this was promised, and this president, even though he was here for a mini visit last year, clearly wanted the full works too. Right. We are expecting, by the way, a gift review to take place. It was meant to be done in private, but we understand we'll be getting live <laughs> images of that. Peter Westmacott, former UK ambassador to the United States, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. Julia, back to you at the New York Stock Exchange, and we'll bring those live images to you when uh, the event takes place in Buckingham Palace behind us. Back to you. Gifting's definitely going to be a high point. I, I hope we do get to see those pictures, and we will come back to you if we get them. Harla, thank you for that. All right. For now, though, let's bring it back to what we're seeing right now. Uh, futures pointing lower as the trade war heats up. Talks, of course, between the United States and Mexico taking place today. This in light of the, the threat from President Trump to impose tariffs on all Mexican imports if they don't do something to tackle migrant flows into the United States. Christine Romans joins us now live. Christine, we can talk about Mexico, but it's not just Mexico. We had the Chinese overnight saying, look, yep. it was the United States that blew the trade deal up, not us. We had the reports of potential tariffs on Australia, too. I mean, we thought the president was choosing his battles here with China, and there's all sorts of battles erupting left, right and center. Uh, erupting the president, uh, igniting the fuse on each and every one of those, too. So it shows you that this is a White House that feels confident that it can fight trade wars on multiple fronts, opening new fronts all the time. The New York Times front page of The New York Times this morning has a Maggie Haberman story about how the, the White House was considering uh, putting tariffs on Australian uh, aluminum. You know, there was an exemption that was granted uh, by the president and now thinking about maybe taking that away. So all of these things rattling investors, although I will say my gut is telling me you could see maybe some nibbling here today because you've got stock, major stock market averages in, in the U.S. down 5, 6, 7 percent for the Nasdaq last month. Really kind of really rough month. So I think that you, you just watch to see what kind of volatility we see here today. But this is what we're hearing from the White House. Mick Mulvaney, um, the president's acting, uh, acting uh, chief of staff, on Fox News Sunday, essentially saying that, no, the rules of economics don't apply in the Trump economy. American consumers will not feel tariffs, and they are confident of that, and they're going to keep going forward. Listen. We've put, uh, put tariffs on China. We're putting tariffs on Mexico. And inflation is still under control. American consumers have gone to products that are made in the United States, for example, that don't carry those tariffs. We think the same thing will happen here. And American consumers will not pay uh, for, for the burden of these, of these tariffs. Well, I mean, tell that to anybody trying to buy a car. I mean, Deutsche Bank says that if you have tariffs on, on, on Mexican, um, uh, Mexican imports and what if you have a risk of, of global auto tariffs that will raise the price of a car? There are supply chains that are not as simple as Mick Mulvaney is making it sound uh, that cross crisscross uh, these borders. So it's not as cut and dry as he says it is. But they are holding firm that, you know, tariffs are not a not a bad thing in Trump world. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? I think we're confusing the short term impact, which is that U.S. companies pay those tariffs in order to import those goods yep. versus the medium to longer term. If companies do decide not to manufacture in China, to do it elsewhere and ship them in from another country, that then will hurt China. But you've got to keep the, uh, the timings here uh, front and center. And right now it is the United States that pays these tariffs. I mean, to your point, what we've seen now is banks 
falling over themselves to lower their growth estimates to say that the Federal Reserve's going to kick in here and be cutting rates maybe two times, maybe three times. Jay Powell, front and centre this week, I think what he says this week about the trade impact and perhaps whether or not he signals that they're more worried than they have been will be critical, I think, for markets this week. I think you're absolutely right. And don't forget, we end this week with a jobs report. I mean, is all of this tariff talk and tariff man running the United States, you know, the president as the president of the United States, as he has called himself, is that cooling hiring enthusiasm? We have seen a very strong jobs market. Are we going to see that maybe uh, uh, taper off here? I will say one thing. The trade hawks around the president for a year now have been telling me that the U.S. economy is so strong and inflation so benign that this is exactly the time to make a big move uh, on trade vis-a-vis China in particular. Now, this, this, this move on the border using trade as leverage on the border is very new. Uh, it's a very new tactic and um, very concerning for a lot of people who watch the economy. You know, they want trade to be about trade. They don't want it to be about other issues. But that's clear what the president's making it here. Yeah, the firm politicization of tariffs here and not just to tackle trade yeah. imbalances. Christine, great point. Christine Roman's joining us there. So actually, I said uh, tariffs and tiaras, but it's tariffs, tantrums and tiaras. I, uh, I, changed, my, uh, <laughs> I changed my mind on that. <laughs> All right, let's move on. We're going to take a quick break here on the first move. But uh, when we come back, Boeing issuing a wing warning. How the plane maker 737 problems just went from bad to worse. Plus, going after Google, the U.S. Justice Department gearing up to investigate the search engine giant on antitrust grounds. We've got all the details next. Stay with us. You're watching CNN. Welcome back to First Move with a quick look at what we're seeing right now for U.S. stock market futures. It is the first trading day of the month, the first trading day of the week too. A bit of pressure that we have taken back earlier losses. The Nasdaq, the tech stocks looking at the softest right now, down some three-tenths of one percent. We are seeing the flight to quality continue, not only in the bond markets, of course, with yields under pressure, but also in the currency markets too. Take a look at what we're seeing across the board here. The Swiss franc currently trading at two-year highs versus the euro, a notable one. The dollar also strengthening despite the pressure that we've seen on bond yields too. It's also a key week for US data. We've got manufacturing survey numbers out in less than an hour's time. We've got the jobs report, as Christine Romans was mentioning, out on Friday. GM and Walmart are holding their annual shareholder meetings. They could update investors on the risk of tariffs, of course, and the impact on pricing. And we've got the Fed beginning a two-day conference on monetary policy tools tomorrow with Jay Powell speaking. So lots to watch this week. For now, though, let's move on because we've had more bad news from Boeing firm. The firm is warning that uh, some 737 jets may have defective wing parts. And it's not just about the 737 MAX, but other new generation 737 planes as well. You've got the regulators and Boeing telling airlines now to ground the planes with faulty parts until they are replaced. The question is, how long will that take? Oren Lieberman joins me now. Oren, the news goes from bad to worse for Boeing. Another challenge. Talk us through what we learnt as a result of these faulty parts. So the part we're talking about specifically is what's known as a slat track. A slat 
is a part, a movable part on the front end edge of a wing that comes out and improves airflow at low air speeds generally. The slat track is simply the two railings on which that part moves forward and back. And that's what we're talking about with this latest issue. The FAA says some of these are defective and need to be inspected and repaired within 10 days. It affects quite a number of aircraft, 312 aircraft worldwide, according to the FAA, as well as 65 in the U.S. And that includes both the 737 MAX that have been such a focus lately, as well as the 737NG, the new generation. So there are a number of airplanes affected here. This is, however, a relatively minor issue. The FAA says it'll take 10 days or it should be fixed and inspected within 10 days. So the problem is not major. The FAA says uh, it can't take down an airplane. It can, however, damage an airplane slightly. The bigger issue is, however, exactly what you said it is. It is another question of doubt, another hit to the public confidence, not only in Boeing, but also in the 737 aircraft. Now, not only, as we've said, the 737 MAX, but also the 737NG, and that is the major hit here, as Boeing has been struggling, trying, working to get the 737 MAX back in the air after the Lion Air crash and the Ethiopian Air crash, and that is the bigger story here, another hit to Boeing's confidence. That, and there's another issue here, Julia, an even bigger issue, and that's the question of will the world's airline regulators, aviation regulators, work in lockstep as they have, or are we about to see a break here? We could very well be looking at a situation where the FAA says, yes, the 737 MAX is ready to go back into the air, and the Europeans say, no, wait, we want a few more tests, we have a few more questions, and that in and of itself would be stunning. On top of that, the Chinese may also say the same thing, we want more time, we want more tests. The difference is, in the Chinese case, with the trade war looming, their questions may be of a political nature instead of, of an aviation nature. Julia? Yeah, and Boeing's really got no defense at this stage. Huge, huge challenges. Oren Lieberman, thank you so much for that update there. All right, let's move on. Another stock we're watching is Alphabet. It's sinking around 3% pre-market on reports that uh, the U.S. Justice Department is preparing to launch an antitrust investigation with a particular focus on the search business, but also advertising practices. Paul LaMonica joins us now. Paul, this is fascinating because the sentiment shift in the United States since the last time they were investigated has been huge. Walk me through what's the focus is of this investigation potentially if we see it launched. Yeah, as CNN's Brian Funk has reported, it does look as if the DOJ is preparing some sort of antitrust probe of Google owner Alphabet focusing on the search and advertising side. Remember, Julia, Google also owns YouTube. It owns the massive uh, you know, ad agency uh, DoubleClick as well. So there's a lot of moving parts at Google. And this is a company that has become dominant along with Facebook in search and online and mobile advertising. And what I find fascinating is that obviously President Trump has been very critical of the tech giants, including Amazon as well, particularly because of Jeff Bezos's personal ownership of the Washington Post. But I think that any uh, criticism of big tech companies for how wide ranging they have become and the big businesses they dominate, that would have buy in from Democrats as well. Yeah, we shall see. Thank you so much, uh, Paula Monica, on that. We'll watch it at the open. The market open is next. Plenty more to come. Stay with us. You're watching First Move. Extensive coverage of U.S. President Donald Trump's state visits to Britain. We'll get back to Julia in a moment. 
Here at Buckingham Palace, the Queen has just presented uh, the president with an extensive collection of objects and artifacts to mark the occasion of this state visit. Among other gifts, the president was given a first edition of Winston Churchill's book, The Second World War. Remember, Churchill was the one who first coined the term the special relationship. So that gift has huge symbolic weight for both countries. Now, what is happening now is that the Her Majesty the Queen is, and Prince Charles and Camilla, you can see them there as well inside Buckingham Palace, are being presented with a series of objects. The formal gift exchange will happen a little bit later. That is a special event. Nick Robertson is here with more. What is the Queen showing the President uh, Trump and First Lady Melania? Well, it just appears as if they've been looking at the, a coloured engraved portrait of George Washington. They will be looking at uh, a copy of the Declaration of Independence, uh, other pictures of George III, uh, letters that have been exchanged, important historical letters. But I, I'm noticing a couple of very interesting items coming up that will be things that President Trump will, uh, that are clearly being put out, particularly for President Trump, that perhaps other leaders wouldn't see. Remembering President Trump's mother brought him up to respect the Queen. She liked the Queen. She was from the Outer Hebrides in Scotland, the remote isles off the northwest Scottish coast. Um, there that we're going he will be shown a picture of a standing stone. Mm -hmm. This is symbolic in the Outer Hebrides, but from very close to where his mother grew up. And also the MacLeod Tartan. The Book of Tartans will be open to the MacLeod Tartan. And his mother was a MacLeod. So there is there's clearly an effort here to show the president things that will mean something specifically to him. Some of the Queen's prized items, yes, that show the connection between, historic connection between Britain and the United States, but things that will, uh, that will hope, I'm sure she will hope, that will please President more, Trump. More specifically, um, uh, 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 more specifically related to the history of Donald Trump's family on his mother's side, on his father's side, the family is... Uh, of German heritage. Mm. And and this is separate from the gift exchange in which the UK will then uh, 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 give a gift to, mm. to Donald Trump, the president, mm. and vice versa, correct? Uh, correct. This is, uh, these are things that have been gifted to the royal family that they have collected mm. over the centuries. And this is something that President Trump is now uh, being shown. And this is quite normal. When the Queen hosts somebody on a state visit, this is often something that, that she will like to do, that, that's traditional to do that she will give give them an insight into you know into the ties between the two countries again it speaks to those issues so this is obviously why buckingham palace is being renovated he does, she doesn't have full access to show him to show him all the rooms she might normally like to do during a state visit but this will really give him a flavor of the, of, of how close the united states and britain have been over the centuries uh, of course, it's a, a visit uh, that is not without controversy. We'll, we'll get to that in a moment. But right now, of course, this is a state visit. This is the highest honor that the UK uh, can bestow upon a visiting head of state. I was speaking with Sir Peter Westmacott, who's the former UK ambassador to the US. He described how uh, Nicola Sarkozy was welcomed here on a state visit before uh, Donald Trump. Of course, Barack Obama was and George W. Bush. In this case, you were mentioning uh, Buckingham Palace, parts of it are being renovated, and so therefore the president, that is the reason the president is overnighting at Winfield House, which is the residence of the U.S. ambassador. Which is a very beautiful residence and is a prime location and is something that the uh, that the American, uh, that the United States has had uh, for a long time now. But this, uh, but 
you know, obviously for President Trump, it perhaps would have been very nice uh, to be able to say one day in his memoirs that he stayed yeah. at Buckingham Palace. This has always been something that's very important to him. Um, and, I, and, and I was just sorry to jump in. I was just just noticed Ivanka Trump there in the background and her husband, Jared Kushner. Also, uh, Prince Charles and Camilla, both present at this particular event. It's 2.33 p.m. London time. And John Bolton, I'm being told. I have not seen him, but John Bolton, I'm being told, is also part of this. And, and talk to us about some of these objects as well, because you mentioned the tartan, the, the Book of MacLeod, uh, other artifacts as well. Well, there, there's a, a Book of Birds of America, Volume mm -hmm. 1, the Bird of Washington. It's an eagle, uh, watercolor of the bald eagle. Um, the Natural History of the Carolinas, Florida and Bahama mm -hmm. Islands. Uh, open at the page of the Red Cardinal. They'll be looking at uh, Joseph Farrington's account of George Wash of George III and Benjamin West's conversation about George Washington. Mm -hmm. All of these items will have a special relevance, a special moment in history in the relationship between the two countries, or that that are oh, these books open at certain pages, like mm -hmm. the book of his mother's tartan. She mm -hmm. was from Scotland, the MacLeod tartan. His mother was the MacLeod. Interestingly. The McLeod side of his, his mother's family all lived uh, on that island of Scotland within a few villages of each other for several generations further back. President Trump is believed to be Donald, named after uh, a grandfather who was uh, who was lost at sea, not far from not far from uh, the, one of the pictures that he'll be shown there, the standing stone from Stornoway. So all of this is supposed to have a, a relevance for President Trump. And we uh, see Her Majesty the Queen there leading the president. We remember in July during that working visit, there was a bit of controversy where he walked ahead of her uh, during the inspection of the uh, guards. In this case, it seems as though, at least so far in the last few hours, this visit has gone off. There were a few tweets. <laughs> but aren't there always with the president, but has gone off pretty well as far as protocol is concerned. I think everyone's going to be interested to see what he tweets after this experience today. He really has been shown who else gets to go in this room and be shown around here by the Queen. This is an mm -hmm. absolute high honor. So yes, those tweets at the beginning, but he does seem to have been on his best behavior, trying to observe protocol, trying to do what is expected of him rather than what he wants, which is often his own want. Uh, the Queen, they're a very diminutive figure next to him and, and the First Lady, but he's paying attention. Um, I'm sure there are a lot of heads of state would wish President Trump paid as much attention to them and what they're saying as, as he is to the Queen right now. But he does, he does appear to be on absolute best behavior. This is going to be a moment that he's going to be able to recall, that his family is going to be able to recall whatever one's views of President Trump are, uh, this is a moment um, that he's not going to forget in his life. Yeah. This will, will be a his, special moment for Neither him. will his children, because uh, unusually the president brought with him four adult children and their spouses, which is not something that's normally done. And they will be going to the state banquet mm -hmm. tonight, and that's a very big representation from the family of, uh, of, of the President of the United States at any gathering like this. It mm -hmm. is unusual. This does seem to be in keeping, as we understand, President Trump wants to expose his family mm -hmm. to uh, the pleasures of the high office that he now holds. So what they will be able to take away from that state dinner tonight will have been to rub shoulders with some of the leading and most uh, mm. 
uh, well, the leading figures of, the, of this nation. Yeah. Interestingly, I'm not seeing Prince Harry here, although we know he was part of the private lunch. Uh, we are seeing Prince Harry's father, though, Prince Charles, and his wife, Camilla. Uh, this evening, I understand, is when Prince William and Kate, his wife, will be taking part in the banquet dinner. And the Queen is the one who chooses which members of the royal family attend which events. Absolutely. This is something that, that she choreographs. She knows how it want, she wants it to go. It was very important, I think, that we saw Prince Charles earlier walking along the, uh, the, the honor guard with, the, with President Trump. And it really does sort of, uh, it's not only symbolic of the changing of the guard, as in the, the royal family, yeah. that, that Prince Charles is being now brought into brought into more senior and significant royal duties. Of course, he's done this throughout his life, but with uh, Prince Philip taking somewhat of a, a retirement, semi-retirement back seat, Prince Charles is stepping up, and this is the direction of the Queen. Will Prince Philip be at the banquet tonight, do we know? I don't know the answer oh. to that. And uh, with the changing of the guard in the UK, one has to wonder, by bringing his children, if the president is hoping for at least some sort of passing on from generation to generation of, you know, status and, and power. President Trump is all about his business. His family is part of that business. President Trump seems to live in the mode of wanting to create a dynasty, whether it's a political one or a financial one. He certainly came from a financial dynasty in as much as his, he, he inherited the business from his father. Yeah. This does seem to be something that he wants to pass on and any high level connections that he can make with people that he uh, holds in high esteem is something that he's going to want to do for his family to pass that on, to pass the benefits, the business benefits. So it's not forgotten on anyone that uh, both uh, the First Lady and, and President at times have expressed the interest that the, that being president is also an opportunity to up the profile of the Trump brand. Um, uh, just to remind our viewers or to bring our viewers up to date who may be joining us, this is one of the uh, many ceremonial events that are taking place on this day one of the Trump state visit. This is Royal Day. Uh, this is um, a review of past gifts given to the royal family, which include, as you were saying, Nick Robertson, certain items that would have special significance to uh, Donald Trump himself and his mother's side of the family that came from the Outer Hebrides in Scotland. Uh, there are also uh, American objects, uh, books of birds, um, other interesting American objects, artifacts and historical pieces that were given to the royal family and that are now being presented. And this is an extended group because it's not just the president and the first lady, it's also the president's daughter, Ivanka Trump, and her son, Jared Kushner. We're seeing Prince Charles there and his wife, uh, Camilla, I saw flashing past the camera, John Bolton, the national security advisor. And I understand someone told me Kellyanne Conway was there, though I have not laid eyes on her. Kellyanne yesterday. Conway has been part of this lunchtime delegation, we mm -hmm. understand, along with uh, Steve Mnuchin as well. Mm -hmm. I see. All right. Well, there you have it. This is uh, just a look at one of these events. Coming up next will be an exchange of gifts, I understand. And we will uh, bring that to you when it happens. And we'll have a lot more analysis of also the relationship between the two countries and what this state visit will mean to that. The state of the special relationship will be key as the two countries discuss the opportunity for what Trump referred to ahead of his visit as, quote, a very big trade deal. 
The U.S. ambassador angered some on Sunday by suggesting that everything, including access to the National Health Service for U.S. pharma companies, should be on the table in any such deal. And that is something that would be, uh, by any measure, a very unusual thing for an American president to say. Hadas Gold joins me now with more. Talk to us more about what the president said about any upcoming trade agreement between the U.K. and the U.S. after Brexit. Yeah, Hala, you can't look at all this pomp and circumstance of this state visit without understanding the importance of what the future relationship with the United States will be for the United Kingdom post Brexit. Now, I want to lay out here the importance of the U.S. trade relationship with the U.K. First, I want to talk about the top investors in the United Kingdom for 2017. Number one was the United States with 26.3 percent, followed by the Netherlands at 17.1 percent, Luxembourg at 8.7 percent, and so on. When you look at the top export markets, though, for uh, the United Kingdom, the number one export market for the United Kingdom is the United States at 18.6 percent. However, If you think about the European Union and all of the countries there, added them all together, that the EU bloc represents a larger uh, export market and trading partner for the UK than the United States. But that just goes to show you this is going to be an interesting scenario that the UK will find itself in post-Brexit in terms of trying to strike these trade deals. In March, the Trump administration uh, issued a few documents clarifying what they would be seeking in a trade deal with the United Kingdom. And that includes changes to certain standards, things like agricultural products. That's the famous chlorinated chicken we've been hearing about for so long. They want to change those standards to make it easier for U.S. products to make it to the United Kingdom. However, on the other side, the U.K. has to deal with the EU standards, which are much higher on things like agricultural products. And so the U.K. will have to balance those two things together while trying to strike as beneficial of a trade deal while they're at a much lesser power status than they have been before, because you're dealing with much bigger blocks with the EU and a much bigger country with much more power in the United States. Clearly, that is what the U.S. is trying to get in at a more favorable position. The U.S. ambassador with his comments yesterday about how they'd want American companies to be able to bid on contracts in the national health care system here in the United Kingdom was met with a lot of backlash already. In fact, just a few minutes ago, the mayor of London, uh, Sadiq Khan, uh, specifically called out this NHS idea that Ambassador Woody Johnson threw, threw out and said that it was uh, it would cause the UK to have to agree to anything that President Trump wants. This will obviously be an issue uh, as this visit goes forward tomorrow morning. President Trump is expected to meet with business leaders from companies that represent uh, big companies both in the US and the United Kingdom. Uh, but all of this will also, of course, be all determined on how Brexit actually turns out, Hala. Yeah, you know- All right, Hadass Gold, thanks very much. And we'll catch up with Hadass a little bit later for more on another contentious issue, and that is, of course, Huawei. Uh, For now, Julia, back to you. We'll see you in a little bit. Yeah, great point on Huawei as well. Front and center as far as these broader trade battles are concerned. Right now, let me give you a quick look at what we're seeing for U.S. stock markets this morning. Under a bit of pressure, I think, as investors digest not only the bond market reaction to what we've seen over the last several sessions, but just how many fronts in this trade war exist right now. Let's get some context. Mohamed El Arian is chief economic advisor at Allianz. He says the Fed must think signal the start of a rate-cutting cycle soon to avoid a costly policy mistake stake and he joins us now Mohammed always a pleasure to have you on the show and that's a bold call pushing the Federal Reserve here to signal that they're more concerned about the outlook than perhaps they have suggested talk me through why you think they need to do this and then we'll talk about the catch-22 that presents 
It's very simple, Julia. The markets have already priced in three, three rate cuts yeah. this year. And they've done so on account of three things. One is concerned that the trade tensions are becoming even less predictable because of what happened vis-a-vis Mexico last week. Two, the European elections mean a more fragmented regional and national political landscape, harder to implement pro-growth policies. And three, the own dynamics of the bond market. And the concern here is even if it's not justified by the U.S. economic conditions, if the markets don't get a rate hike, they'll have a huge tantrum that will then contaminate the economy. I mean, that's a huge problem for the Federal Reserve to have to face down. They have to do what the market's telling them or risk the market having a tantrum because they don't get what they want. Is the bond market getting this right, whether it's the inversion of the yield curve and the risk that that perhaps either does or doesn't suggest some kind of broader slowdown and recession risk here? What is the market getting wrong and what's it getting right here in your view? So I think the market has been conditioned through the last 10 years to expect the Fed to be their best friend forever, their BFF. And when they don't see the Fed reacting quickly enough, they force the Fed's hand. And that's been the story of the last few years. Um, It's not a good story. You want the Fed to lead the markets, not to follow the markets. But unfortunately, this codependence has gone too far. And now the markets risk a self-fulfilling problem. And that's one thing that I I think that the Federal Reserve doesn't yet understand well enough. And it's like you say, it's a very uncomfortable position to be in. Do we need the Federal Reserve and Jay Powell to suggest that this week? Because Jay Powell does have an opportunity to perhaps indicate, look, the trade risks here are perhaps greater than we initially thought. So this is a really hard question for me to answer. If you look Mm. short term in terms of market stability, yes, we need Chairman Powell to indicate this this week. If you look longer term, at some point, you've got to get out of this unhealthy codependence. Um, so I think at the end of the day, the Fed will do it short term and will do what previous Feds have done, which is simply kick the can down the road. Where does this unhealthy codependence between the markets and the Federal Reserve end? Because we could argue that compared to other developed market central banks, at least the Fed has managed to hike nine times. It has some cushion for the next slowdown. That's a very different story elsewhere in the world. It is. And as much as we talk about the Fed, we should be spending a lot more time talking about the European Central Bank. Um, They face an even tougher policy outlook. First, the economy is much weaker. I worry about what economists call stall speed growth, which means you're not going fast enough to maintain um, enough momentum. Secondly, let's not forget that interest rates are already negative in Europe. Thirdly, the ECB is going through a major leadership transition. So as much as we worry about the Fed, Julia, remember the ECB. Their complexity is much higher than that of the Fed. Yeah, and we're going to hear from them this week too. Uh, Mohamed el of Allianz, I have to say goodbye to you. I apologize that we got trumped by President Trump and the Queen today, but we'll get you back soon. Thank you so much for that. More to come on First Move. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move. And I want to get straight back to London, where President Trump is on his official visit to the UK. Harla is there with all the details for us. Harla, it's a jam-packed schedule. What can we expect in the coming hours? 
Well, he doesn't have a lot of downtime because after having uh, been escorted by the Queen through the gift review at Buckingham Palace, he is on his way shortly to Westminster Abbey, and that's where he will lay a wreath at the tomb of the unknown a warrior, uh, Leslie Vinjamori, associate fellow at SOAS and the head of the U.S. program at Chatham House, joins me now. What jumps out at you? And just in the first few hours of this visit, the, of course, controversy accompanying the president, usually wherever he goes, but the U.K. is making a huge effort here. It is, and yet it, it's, it, to me it actually strikes me that the crowds aren't as big as I would have imagined. Of course, it's a deeply it, mm -hmm. controversial visit. This is a president who, as we know, has only a 21% approval rating in the UK, mm -hmm. isn't popular. People have been very worried about security. Mm -hmm. And the timing is um, not what was planned, but very difficult for the UK. Well, the Prime Minister, Theresa May, is on her way out. She's a lame duck prime minister. We don't know who will lead the Conservative Party and thus become the next prime minister. But the president has already weighed in in favor of Boris Johnson, a man who, by the way, called him unfit to be president in 2016. Yeah, well, the president moves on very quickly, depending on what it, where he sees a potential win. And I think with Boris Johnson, he sees somebody who's very, who seems very independent, not constrained by any sort of deeper political um, expectations, somebody who he could do a deal with. And I think somebody, you know, who's made it very clear that he wants a hard Brexit for Britain. This is what the president wants. He wants independent nations that he can deal with. And he thinks he's made it very clear that for a U.S.-U.K. trade deal to go forward, Britain needs to get itself out of the customs arrangement and become completely independent. But the price of complete independence, quote-unquote, might be some level of dependence on big trading partners like the United States. And to hear Donald Trump describe a potential deal would have to include access to markets that the U.K., as part of the EU, doesn't open up to American, say, pharmaceutical products. Yeah, that's absolutely right. We saw in that, that interview with Ambassador Johnson yesterday, or on Sunday, that, um, yeah, there would be an expectation that all sectors of the of the U.K. market would be open. It's it's a slightly odd decision to, to insert that into the debate right now, mm -hmm. because, of course, it, it risks a backlash from the British public. Mm -hmm. When you start to talk about pressure on private investment, international investment in the NHS. If you're trying to move the UK towards a harder Brexit, why make that intervention now? It's not a very strategic choice, actually. Uh, well, thank you very much, uh, Leslie Vinjamori. And there will be uh, many, by the way, business leaders, industry leaders taking part in the state visit, whether from the pharmaceutical industry and, and also the, 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 the armament industry uh, as well. Thanks so much uh, for joining us. Uh, Julia, back to you. There's going to be a lot to, lot to talk about in the coming hours. The president on his way shortly to Westminster Abbey. Back to you. Absolutely, and we look forward to uh, you bringing it to us. Thank you so much for that. As you pointed out there, the timing could have perhaps been better for this visit, but uh, there it is anyway. All right, let me give you a look of what we're seeing in terms of the market action here today. Obviously, lots to concern investors. Right now, it's the Nasdaq under pressure, some seven tenths of one percent, as you can see. They're watching DC today, of course, too, for uh, headlines on the US-Mexico talks. The Mexicans trying to avert the threat of tariffs hitting imminently, of course, June the 10th, the date there. And, of course, I'll be back in a couple of hours' time with The Express to bring you all the latest, not only on the market action and the stories that we're following, but, of course, what's going on over in London and the Queen visiting with President Trump and Melania, of course, too. So stay with CNN. We've got you covered. For now, though, that's it for the show. I'm Julia Chatterley. You've been watching First Move. Time to go make yours.
quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.